When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Do you know the number one obstacle to financial success? Time, or lack of it. Without enough time, you can't learn efficiently, plan effectively, or focus on the right strategies. That's why Real Vision offers you a simple and efficient way to gain expert knowledge using time-saving market tools and leverage the brain power of our community to help you succeed faster. Get a taste of financial freedom with our offer at realvision.com forward slash free. That's realvision.com forward slash free. Join me, Raoul Pal, as I go on a journey of discovery through the macro, crypto, and exponential age landscapes. In The Journeyman, I talk to the smartest people in the world so we can all become smarter together. Hunter Horsley, how the devil are you? I'm doing fantastic. How are you? I'm great. Listen, before we start, I just want to say congratulations. Nothing to do with the ETF. It's that you called pudgy penguins in our last conversation. (laughs) (laughs) You absolutely know. What the fuck are pudgy pudgy penguins? Before I know it, my Twitter feed's full of them and the things explode. So you're some sort of savant and I don't know why. (laughs) Yeah, I don't don't know if I I said it then, but uh, I just... uh... I love I love the, the the cute chubby penguins and I I there's a part of me that loved that that really frustrated people um uh you know I I I think I think that in 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 crypto there's this sort of dueling reality which is in some ways it's the most serious important uh topic and subject matter rebuilding financial rails potentially proposing an, another monetary system you know infrastructure and that's very serious but then on the other end of the spectrum, there are whimsical, silly projects, and uh, they both coexist. Um, and so I, I kind of just love the whimsical. I mean, that was a perfect, then, uh, you know, the, the, the bell curve, the mid-twit curve. That was a perfect left tail. I like the, <laughs> I like the cute penguins. Genius. But anyway. You're right. Right, right, right. <laughs> well, Thank you. Well thanks, for that. thanks for, that's funny to think about. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> The other thing is I've actually wheeled out my irresponsibly long T-shirt in your honor because you have, look, you know, you and I have known each other for quite a long time now, and you have been in this battle since day one. You had a vision, and I'm, I just want to go back and let you just lay out the bit vision you had and where you've got to because, you know, you've had a lot of ups and downs, some huge successes, gigantic successes. I think you are outside of Grayscale, the largest fund manager in the entire crypto space, which people don't really realize. Um, and you've also been fighting this battle all the way through since I've ever known you. So give us give us the story a little bit, because I think it's nice for you to look back and figure out how you've got here as well. Oh, that's, that's very, very kind of you to say. Uh, we, we have, we've been in the space for six years now, which feels like a uh, hundred years or something. Um, and uh, I know many members of the of the Real Vision community have you know uh, tracked the space for a long time and have been involved in the space, and so we're all kindred spirits in that way. Um, for those for those who are in, in the space, 
Um, but I mean, let, let's see. Why I, did so you I, start, why did you you know, start well, Bitwise? What was, what was the lunatic idea? You were at Facebook beforehand. Just give us what, what you had in your head when you started it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, uh, so, so Wharton School was a product manager at Instagram and then Facebook. Um, and if I, if I could tackle this from, from two dimensions, um, I think that, that uh, in some ways, crypto is like this, this prism. And depending on the angle you see it from, you see, you see different things in it. So for instance, there are people with financial backgrounds who look at it and they see a new alternative asset class. So they see a new currency or they see uh, volatility, uh, low correlations, um, maybe a new settlement rail, new financial rail. And those are the sort of the subject matter um, that they interpret what they see through um, oftentimes, or at least at first. Um, uh, then there's, you know, I think a group that views it uh, from a social perspective or a political perspective. It's a libertarian angle. It's a perspective on uh, authority and and um, governance um, and self sovereignty, and they view it through those angles. And they they like things like um, self custody and and different different dimensions of things that are important to them. There's a there's a third dimension which is people with technology backgrounds, um, and I think that 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 audience is is sort of the vantage point I started from. And uh, I think one thing that is a familiar pattern to that audience is um, every so often, maybe once a decade or so, you get a new platform, a new technology platform. You got this with the PC, you had it with the internet, you had it with uh, the shift from on-prem to cloud, you had it with mobile. Um, and it's a very familiar pattern. Um, and I think uh, at the time that we were looking at it in, in, in 2016 and then 2017, it was starting to show the possibility of being a new computing platform. You had the demonstration of Bitcoin for several years at that point. Ethereum had just been introduced with a more generalizable um, uh, programmability. Uh, there are other things being worked on. Monero, you may remember Zcash, um, which were very in focus. And um, and I think to a lot of people in technology, there's, there's just sort of this in instinctual, intuitive understanding that there's a certain life cycle of a, of a computing platform or technology platform. You get if you view it through the lens of the iPhone, for example, iPhone comes out in 2007, thereabouts. It introduces some new capabilities. Uh, it has a camera. Of course, it's different than a laptop. You can take it to the street. It has an accelerometer. It has a GPS. Great. A bunch of new capabilities. And everyone says, what do I need this for? My BlackBerry is great. My laptop is great. I can't do spreadsheets on this little device. Um, but there's some new capabilities. So step one is new computing platform introduces new capabilities. Step two is developers have to come in and dream up ways of applying those capabilities and making apps. Um, and then you get things like Instagram and Uber, which uses the GPS, and you get Snapchat, which uses the camera, and you get all sorts of things, Venmo, Apple Pay. And that attracts users and usage, and that creates a flywheel. Then the users want to use the new computing platform, which means there are more users of the computing platform, which makes it more attractive to develop applications for which makes there you know, be more applications that can attract more users. And the iPhone sold 3 million units in its first year when it was just capabilities. And you know, now there are over a billion iPhones. So I think from the technology perspective, to your question of what was my perspective on the space, um, you only get a new computing platform every so often. And it was showing signs that, that public blockchains could be that. And that's a very exciting thing. It's not you know, without risk. It's not guaranteed that, that, that it has a useful role to play in the future. But um, we thought it could, and um, and that it would be a meaningful way to spend a large part of our careers if we could be stewards and participants of, of that journey. So 
But why um, take the most uh, painful route, which was an asset management firm? I mean, that's literally the hardest job to do because of the regulation, the cynicism, the media, everything. Why take that route? You're a product yeah. manager. You could have taken a. You could have built something. You could have built punchy penguins, but instead, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, you know, I, I don't. I don't know if I could have built punchy penguins, but uh, I, I know exactly what you're saying. Definitely, definitely. You know, I think uh, there are other businesses and other things in crypto that have, um, at least to my eyes, been been easier or um, or faster. Uh, it, it was is sort of an organic thing, to be honest. Uh, Many of the people I worked with at Facebook, friends from Wharton who were working sell side or buy side in finance, I was uh, my co-founder and I. Um, he had done software security in the military, uh, infrastructure, Google. We were we were you know became very interested in in crypto, and so we were having conversations with people, and we kept hearing hearing this remark over and over again. People would say, uh, "I'm interested in crypto and investing in crypto, but I don't have time to figure it all out and be constantly monitoring it." And I, you know, I think that when you're when you're building something from scratch, um, ultimately, uh, to build something useful, you have to really believe that there's something useful to do for people, that there's a problem to solve, that there's value to be uh, created. And um, hearing that from some of our smartest friends and relationships, be it in finance or or in tech, uh, sounded to us like, wow, th this is a this is a common challenge for people. Um, and then as we we thought into the future. You know the architecture of, of public blockchains and uh, decentralized applications is that there's uh, there's a piece of software and then there is uh, a liquid token. And if you're you're going to have a, a successful future in which people are using these decentralized pieces of software and this computing platform is adopted, then you're going to have a more and more vibrant um, ecosystem of these liquid digital assets. And uh, and then we just couldn't imagine it at that time. Most of the ways of investing in the space were you download an app, you create an account with an exchange, and those are incredible businesses and very useful, but we couldn't imagine that the future was every American trading a portfolio of crypto coins on their phone. Um, that, you know, in, in, in munis, in emerging markets, in, in real estate, uh, they would approach it one way, but then you know everyone would would approach crypto as a self-directed uh, undertaking. So certainly there are people who can do that, who have the talent, the aptitude, the desire, the time, but but um, some some couldn't. So um, our feeling was there is a there is a need here for somebody to build a specialized asset manager that has the DNA of understanding open source software. Which could bring relevance or, or, or cause there to be relevance in, in Hong and my background, and if we can recruit a team of experienced asset management um, professionals, we could combine those two things and create the right demix uh, to build a you know from ground up uh, crypto specialist asset manager, um, and that might be a very useful thing uh, if if this space indeed could become what it we thought it had potential to be. So. Um, that was sort of the thinking behind it, which involved simple conversations with friends, and then some, uh, uh, you know, thinking about if you play a few moves forward, and and uh, these decentralized protocols and and applications get adopted, uh, that you would wind up with a potentially a, a liquid asset class, and um, so that's that's how we thought well, about I'm, it at the time. I'm presuming somewhere within that, as there is in all startups, there's a naivety, which was like dot 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 Lord GTF. <laughs> oh yeah. <laughs> 
That oh, dot, yeah. dot, dot was not a dot, dot, dot. That was like a, a wild story. So I presume you start and think, well, ETF is kind of the way that we should be going with this. Talk me through the, yeah. what you learned on this journey about how difficult this was and the, and the battle that you fought. You know, that's why I'm always amazed is, you know, y- y- you've been through the trenches to get this done. You've stuck it out. You've spoken to regulators endlessly. You've educated people. You've educated the community. So I'd love to hear some of that journey because it's not, you know, Hunter ringing the bell at the New York Stock Exchange. It's actually Hunter's story of how he got here. Hey, everyone. We're going to take a quick pause and hear a word from our partners. We'll be right back. Picture yourself on the beach, retired early and enjoying financial freedom. If this is your dream, then now's the time to level up your investing game, and Real Vision can help you. We arm you with the knowledge, the tools, and the network to succeed on your financial journey, on your own terms. Take control of your future and visit realvision.com forward slash free. Sure, sure, yeah. Um, uh... You're right. There's definitely naivete involved uh, back then, um, and you know, I, I think it was it was it was sort of simple to us and and simple to everyone that in, that ETFs would be a fantastic solution to this problem. Be a great instrument for traders, a great solution for advisors, for long-term investors, for institutional investors, with all the features uh, that make it one of the most popular investment products uh, in the world today. You know, outside of crypto. And then what we had to discover was that. That was not going to be possible, uh, you know. So we made our first filing for an ETF in 2018. Um, we filed for a Bitcoin ETF in 2019. We filed in 2021. Uh, along the way, we launched some other ETFs that were possible. Um, today, we manage about 15 products and um, six ETFs. Um, but uh, yeah, we had to discover we had to discover that um, that that wasn't going to be possible and figure out how we could chip away at solving the problem for for clients and investors. With what was possible at the time, and I, you know, I think that the the evolution has been sort of one step forward at a time, and um, it it makes today so special that a thing that I think has been obvious to so many people for so long that it would be a, a benefit for investors, a benefit for Americans, a benefit for the crypto space has finally finally become possible um, when it was I think in, intuitively plain to people for so long, um, so many years ago, and you know, for us six years ago, and. Talk me through the launch of BITO because that was a huge success as well, wasn't it? The the Bitcoin futures ETF. Um, not yeah, the Bitcoin futures ETF. And what are the other? What's the larger? What are the largest products that you've got currently? Yeah. Um, uh, today, BITW is the largest crypto index fund. Uh, it's the Bitwise Ten Crypto Index Fund that publicly trades uh, in the US. Uh, we launched that in 2020. In 2021, we launched BITQ, which is the Bitwise Crypto Industry Innovators ETF that holds Bitcoin miners, Coinbase. I don't know if you saw that Circle uh, com- uh, filed uh, to potentially IPO. Uh, that that type of name would, would enter that portfolio. We launched the first Ethereum futures-based uh, ETFs in October of this year. Um, we have Web3 ETFs, so we have a variety of them. I would say that um, we're probably best known for BITW. Uh, which is the top 10 crypto assets, Bitcoin, Ethereum, um, others, Solana, um, and, uh, and BITQ, which holds crypto equities and, and was the first ETF in the US to have crypto in its name. That's, uh, you know, for 40 Act ETFs, the SEC uh, regulates the names and uh, has, to, has to approve you to use 
uh, use the name. So it was a conversation to to arrive at them being comfortable with us using the word crypto. Um, those are two of our most popular products today, both diversified and mixed products. Yeah. What I love about the story that you put together is one of the things, the reasons I love this space is here's technologists getting together with finance people. That often doesn't really happen. And then, as you know, we've got artists, we've got musicians, we've got all sorts of different people and about the smartest people in the world. And they're all slightly crazy and they all come together and tackle different problems. Mm-hmm. You know, you guys yeah. saw one problem. Somebody else has seen another problem. You know, Jeremy Allaire's found another problem. And everyone mm-hmm. just goes to tackle all of these component parts of this very big fit idea. It's like, you know, I, I look at yeah. Elon Musk and his idea is get to Mars. And so he builds about seven businesses, all of which are related to that one thing because mm-hmm. it's too big a mm-hmm. thing to do in one go. If somebody said, mm-hmm. well, let's change the entire financial system and create the value layer for the entire internet, everyone's going to go forget about it. But everybody does their parts. And what we do yeah. is make all of this movement forwards. And I love that, right? I think I think it's one of the most captivating. And, and you know, I think sometimes people say that you love the community in crypto and or you could say the ecosystem. And I, I think it's one of the most beautiful things to see in action. You know, there, there's so many companies in America that have chief innovation officers or R&D budgets or innovation centers. Maybe they have a hackathon. Um, they're trying to conjure up uh, this sort of collective innovation and collaboration that crypto has just had spontaneously occur. You know, this, this, this whole ecosystem, be it open source developers, um, the companies that have, have formed to try to tackle challenges. It's, it's sort of a beautiful thing to, to watch it uh, emerge and, and attempt to move the ball forward and, and to build from scratch. So um, I, totally, I totally agree with you. And I think it's one of the reasons that people who spend time in the space often feel drawn to spend more time because it's such a, a productive uh, pursuit, whereas in some some other industries, sometimes it, does, it doesn't feel like uh, people are building new things or people are collaborating um, at the same level. So uh, I, lo- I love that element. And talk me through how the conversations with potential investors has changed since you started, you know, because you've gone through the up cycles and the down cycles, you've seen them all, you kind of launched in the middle of, I think it right at the peak of market as everybody does. And then you've been seeing the downside, you've seen the upside, you've seen, you've seen it all. Talk me through that education process because one of the things you guys have done is like, you didn't start with the distribution. You're not Fidelity, mm-hmm. you're not Van Eck. You start with no distribution. So you go out and build a whole distribution network by you, know, you and all of your team on the ground educating people. So I'd love to hear yeah. that kind of journey when you when you start explaining it to people several years ago to where they are now. Sure, sure. But then I, I want to hear from you on, on how, how you feel that's evolved over time because you know, you, you've, you've been involved in the space for, for even longer than me. Um, uh, so so, so for, for those not, not, not as familiar um, with some of the elements of our firm, um, we, uh, we serve several thousand uh, financial advisors, wealth management teams within banks and broker-dealers. We, we serve over a dozen banks and broker-dealers in the wealth management arms. We've institutional clients, family office clients. And I think it's just part of the ethos of the firm and certainly part of the, uh, of the plan of the firm that we, uh, we value relationships and building relationships and helping busy investors 
get the information that they want and the understanding that they want in a world in which there are 99 other things for them to focus on on a given day. And they want to navigate crypto and, and participate in the opportunities, but they don't always feel like they have the time to do the research. Things like Real Vision are the things they turn to when they have time um, and Bitwise Services as a, as a resource as well. Um, so uh, quite a, a broad client base today across the country and really proud of that. But as you said, started with no advantages, um, no uh, pre, pre-installed uh, distribution or anything. And we started as two people in San Francisco. Um, uh, I think that uh, uh, in terms of um, the way the conversation has evolved, and, and then I want to ask you about that, um, I, I feel that in, in circa 2017, um, there was a lot of, I don't know anything about crypto. Give me crypto 101. Like just a very general approach, a curiosity, but a reluctance to ask a question too specific that it might reveal that you don't, you know, you don't don't know much um, was was often a conversation. People often asked about uh, custody. I think qualified custody was a really big topic in maybe 2018. That was the era of Kingdom Trust and Zappo and um, and a lot of self custody solutions. Yeah, you you. Uh, you may remember the era where every crypto hedge fund was self-custodying um, most of their assets or much of their assets. Um, I remember Block Tower, I think, wrote a post about the Faraday cage that they had set up for their, their custody solution. I, I may be misremembering that. Um, um, so that th- those are two topics that I remember really, really being in focus. Privacy coins, ICOs, those were topics at that time. Uh, I think that to maybe just to, to zoom, zoom through it a little bit, um, uh, today, I feel like most people come to a conversation about crypto with some pre-existing points of view. Not as many people want, what is crypto? Give me a crypto 101. People are interested in Bitcoin and they want to know, you know, what is the total addressable market? Um, uh, how will the halving uh, impact uh, Bitcoin? Um, what is the regulatory environment for Bitcoin? The Ethereum, they might say, how should I think about L2s? And are L2s accretive to Ethereum or um, do they compete with Ethereum? Um, how should I think about competing L1s relative to Ethereum? What are the you know, common thing that we get asked about? Uh, we put out a report last year is what are the use cases? What are people using at this point? There's been some time. There have been a lot of projects. What are people using? Um, uh, D, you know, D, some people are very interested in DeFi. Uh, so so the, I, I feel like conversations focus in on that. Of course, with investors, they want to know about correlations, sizing. Um, uh, how it can fit into uh, the way they can execute uh, trade, um, which makes the ETF really exciting. But that that that's at a, at a very high level how I feel like I've seen it evolve. I, I'm curious though. What what, what about uh, what about for you? And 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 it goes as far back as you can, as far back as you can. Well, when I first you, was that was that 2012 was that 2013 2012 2012 2013, and I heard about it from Emil Woods, uh, Emil and Chad, you know Emil and Chad Cascarilla. So I heard it from Emil, because um, he was a global macro investor, still is a global macro um, uh, investor subscriber. He told me about it then as a answer for a future financial system. And so I started writing about it then. And I wrote about it in Global Macro Investor. And to be fair, that first crowd of people was Dan Tapiero, Mark Yusko. Um, wow. There was a whole bunch, Alan Howard. Wow. All of these people were all GMI people. Now, I'm not saying I, I got most of them across the line, but they really thought about it first from, <clears throat> from there. So the hedge funds got it fast because we'd gone through, through two crises and we're all looking for solutions. 
And the solution at the time, if you remember Dan Tapiero, well, you probably won't remember, Dan Tapiero built a gold business. And that was his first right. attempt at finding a solution, <clears throat> which is like you. You saw the problem. You want to build a solution. That was his. Um, Chad and Emil had built ItBit, which ends up becoming Paxos. Um, so people were in my sphere realizing how big a problem the financial system was. But outside of that group, I mean, nobody had a clue what I was talking about. It's been a very lonely pursuit most of the time because people mm -hmm. have no idea. And, you know, it, the, the irritating thing, as I, I put this on Twitter last night, the meme that actually works to get people to understand is number go up. Mm -hmm. You know, and then eventually they come in from whatever angle. As you said, they could be technologists, they could be libertarians, they could be finance people who see the broken system. All, they come in from a different knowledge point. And, they, and that comes in different waves, I think. Um, and I think 2017 bull market 18 didn't do us any favors because it just got, they're always ridiculous, but that was one stage extra ridiculous. Um, mm -hmm. And I think that put a lot of people off. Um, but then my view is these two worlds were going to collide properly. The, the call it fiat world and crypto land. They were going to collide at one point. And I think the biggest favor we had was March to June 2020. And the mm -hmm. reason being, everybody was at home. They were all watching people like me saying, this is the answer to stuff like this. And they all went down the rabbit hole. And suddenly mm. it's been a lot easier because everybody gets it. And then it's just mm. been a confidence game. Do I get back in yet? You know, what do I do? You know, I'm still feeling a bit sore from the bear market, that kind of thing. Although there is this parallel universe of people like my wife, who's like, I'm no interest in any of this stuff. You, know, <laughs> you go and do that. When I talk about NFT, she just thinks I'm a moron and walks out of the room. Um, yeah. So, but, so there's a lot of people who just don't care. It just doesn't hit their radar. It just doesn't matter to them because they're not really investors. They don't consume podcasts about finance or whatever. It just doesn't matter. That will change over time. And the ETF, I think, that's why I'm, I'm, I think the ETF was very important because it can become a little more passive in how people get involved. You don't have to take that leap that everyone took in March to June 2020 because uh, it's yeah. a leap. As you said, it's, it, you know, it's not easy. It requires a lot. Yeah, I, I think it makes me think a, a little bit of uh, uh, of dial-up versus versus broadband. You know, uh, uh, the, the maturation to, to get on the internet or the AOL CD uh, ROMs that they would send to you to, to install AOL. Um, they're just as there are fewer and fewer hurdles uh, to participating in the space. Um, I think, like all things, that 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 means that more people will and can and will consider it. Um, do you do you feel like uh, the space has I mean, you maybe more than anyone between your network and, and how long you've looked at the space, do you feel like the space has uh, matured and progressed faster, slower, or consistent with what you had imagined back in, in 2013 um, when you were having those early conversations? Differently. I mean, my job as a macro guy is to look into the future. So, you know, I'm reasonably good at that, but I got it the wrong way around. My... I, uh, my thought is we're going to build the financial system rails on this first because that's where mm. the need was. Because if you think about an indebted world, there's collateral and there's debt. Right? And, and often that can be 30, 40 times the size of the collateral. 
Mm-hmm. And then when something goes wrong, who owns the collateral, right? That's the problem I wanted to solve when I first looked mm. at it. And I thought, well, blockchain is perfect because the collateral can change hands exactly because of the ownership structure and not something mm. else. That didn't happen. Here we are 12 years later, and we're still talking about real-world assets, and we're just not there yet. What I didn't right. imagine, because Ethereum hadn't come around. In fact, when Emil told me about Ethereum back in 2015, I didn't really understand it. Um, you know, the smart contract element. But, you know, that once you see that, you can't unsee it because it's such a mind-blowingly big concept. I mean, it's like, mm-hmm. so if you now look at the next where NFTs are going, Solana's compressed NFTs, there's a million NFTs for $100 to mint. That means wow. that's all of ticketing. Wow. It's yeah, so yeah. disruptive. People can't understand that yet. So I can be booking a hotel room. It can be on an NFT. I can't make it at the last minute. I sell it to you. You can use the hotel room. The hotel doesn't lose margin. Nobody's got cancellation fees. We can do that for airlines, sports tickets, concert tickets. So we get a much more efficient use of capital. So things that I didn't imagine were to come. Mm-hmm. DeFi, yeah, we kind of got that because it was a financy thing to start with. Mm-hmm. I didn't didn't think NFTs were the thing. I yeah. thought it would have been the financial system because that was the most right. broken thing of all. That's why we all. That's even why Satoshi started this, and we haven't done that bit. Right, right, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's uh, taking the long way around. You know, it's interesting that that makes me think a little bit about uh, another sort of pattern pattern in tech with some of the, you know, in some ways public blockchains are uh, a democratizing system. You know, people sometimes call them permissionless or um, uh, open, uh, but anyone can participate in most most things that are built on a public blockchain. Um, in 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 the tech analogy, if you think about some of the democratizing platforms, uh, if you think about YouTube allowing anyone to broadcast video. Or you think about um, uh, Airbnb allowing anyone to start a hospitality franchise. Or you think about Uber allowing anyone to, to become a driver. You don't have to get a taxi medallion for you know, $200,000. Um, uh, uh, with each of those sort of democratizing platforms, um, the first thought that, that all of us humans have is, okay, you have YouTube. You know, when is the night, nightly news or when is Jay Leno or Jimmy Fallon going to be streamed on YouTube? And, um, and what has so often been the pattern is that you actually get sort of the long tail of use cases and content uh, that was not able to access the prior rail. Uh, you know, the, the, um, the Italian uh, grandmother from Sicily making sardine recipes to an audience of 10,000 people, the, the person putting on makeup and reviewing their favorite cosmetics, or, you know, uh, um, uh, somebody opening packages and commenting on the, on the boxes, you know, th- things that would never go on to uh, a cable network because the audience is just not big enough, um, but it, you know, can go on, on a democratized uh, uh, platform like, like YouTube. And then over time, that causes, because that's differentiated content that's not on the old platform, it's a long tail of content. You can't access that on, on the old platform. People have to go to the new platform to get it. It builds an audience. And then you know you fast forward, you have a billion people on YouTube and Saturday Night Live says, maybe we'll put Saturday Night Live on, on, onto YouTube. But in some ways, it's, it's, the, it's, the, uh, it's the conventional stuff that comes last and only after the emergent new stuff, the long tail 
um, builds the flywheel such that the, uh, the pre-existing. Hey everyone, we're gonna take another quick break and hear a word from our partners, and then we'll be right back. As you know, crypto's on the bull run. We're transitioning from crypto spring to crypto summer. It's when things get exciting, but it's when everybody loses their minds. And your one job in a gift of a bull market is not to fuck this up. So one of the key ways of not doing that is to educate yourself. And we passionately believe in education at Real Vision. And one of the things we're doing for you, which is absolutely free, is we've got Real Vision's Crypto Academy Live, which is two days of programming to help you not fuck it up. And I think you're gonna find it really valuable. And again, it's free. If you're interested in joining us and leveling up your knowledge, ready for the crypto bull market so you don't fuck it up, then join us, realvision.com forward slash get ready. It's as simple as that. It's free. You get everything that you want. If you are a Real Vision member, you get this already, so you don't need to do anything. Also, if you are a Crypto Academy member, um, it's also included in your package, so you don't need to worry about that. Anyway, realvision.com forward slash get ready and don't fuck this up. I guess it's the people with nothing to lose and everything to experiment drive innovation. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah I think that's a great way of, and, great way of know, putting it. It might so be I... the Italian grandmother because there's a bunch of people who love her cooking and she's known in her town. But that makes total sense. Really interesting. The other thing if you that... think, I just also say on, on the on your on the ticketing comment, I, I think that that was so interesting to me. If you if you think about it through this lens, you you could imagine, totally imagine that use case where where you could transfer things that give you admission uh, over a blockchain very seamlessly. Um, and if you take this principle that we're talking about, then what you might imagine is that Ticketmaster will be last, and something emergent will be first. And and actually, what we've we've seen as an emergent behavior is that NFTs are serving as uh, an admission um, to various things. In some ways, NFTs have become tickets to get admission to a content or an event, um, and that didn't exist before. You you had um, this democratized platform to allow that, and so that I think that that kind of fits the the framework of um, uh, and uh, in 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 uh, I saw this very interesting thing in in, in DeFi land. You know, I think uh, a lot of people thought about security tokens or tokenized securities or real world assets on a on a blockchain. And if you take this mental model and apply it, you would say, what is what is an asset that is not already readily accessible through the existing securities rails, um, the existing market structure? And uh, and you would look there. You know, money market funds are pretty widely available, and and they are coming on chain, but they're pretty widely available. I, I saw this project. I think it was last summer, where somebody had tokenized a Patek Philippe and borrowed thirty five thousand dollars against the Patek Philippe. Somebody, you know, that wouldn't you can't do that through your prime at Goldman. Um, you know, th that 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 sort of got me my attention because that fit this pattern mm -hmm. of couldn't be done on the old rail. Um, emergent and can be done on the democratized rail. And and again, I, I think that those types of things are are so interesting um, when you think about a new platform. <clears throat> and the other thing most people don't think about, it's weird, I see it a lot because I end up on podcasts like this morning at 7 a.m. I was podcast in India. I've done, you know, most countries in the world now. This is the only global homogenous investment product or asset class. It's the same in Delhi as it is in Lagos, as it is in Sao Paulo, as it is in New York City or San Francisco. 
right? We don't have that. There's gold, but gold, you can't, the average person can't go and put 10% of their paycheck in gold without crossing a gigantic bid off a spread because they're using the local gold dealer and or jewelry in, in India's case and stuff like that, or in the Middle East, you have to go to the souk. You're, you know, the, the spreads are like 50%. But the same price in the same asset with the same growth and the same upside and the same disruptive nature is available to everybody at a fraction. 10%. Anybody can put 10% of their paycheck in. Anybody. Mm-hmm. We've never had that. You can't do it in anything else. So yeah. the, the, the TAM of this as an investment product, forget all of the technology we can build, as an investment product, the TAM is. Five billion people, right? So the right. number of people with the internet. I mean, how with disruptive is it? You know, I know a lot of people think of it for money and Bitcoin and you know getting around the central banks. I'm just thinking, it's an equalizer for investment opportunity. Mm-hmm. Somebody in Ethiopia can make a 10x return, the same as the the Wall Street hedge fund manager. Yeah. That's the democratization of this thing. It's massive. Yeah, and and it's and and it's an exciting, you know. I think it's an exciting thing. Everyone has finite time uh, in their day, in their week, in their life, and it's exciting to to participate in uh, in a vision of the future that has has characteristics that you think could could uh, make the world better. And I think I think that's an example of a dimension in which. Um, you know, innovation has historically been an opportunity only for QPs and uh, and um, you know a small subset of people. But to your point, um, uh, there there are five billion people around the world who could have uh, read your point of view on uh, on Solana a year ago and uh, participated just like uh, the most institutional client of a global macro investor. So it, it, I think that that vision of the future is exciting as well. And also. You know, there'll be a bunch of people here saying, yeah, but you're missing the philosophy of the space. But it's not because the number go up drives narrative. And what you do is you educate people the moment they buy it because it moves a lot up and down. They want to understand why. And before you know it, they start to understand how broken the system is, how the internet needs its native system of money, store of value, ledger system, and all of that. And before you know it, we're all working towards a common goal in all of these countries. Again, it, the, the behavioral incentives, it's basically behavioral economics writ large, done in a way that we've never seen before. It's this unifying concept that everybody coalesces around. Yeah, yeah, I, I, I totally agree. And, and I think that there's something really fundamental about, about capitalism, about open markets, about incentives, um, human nature and the power of all those things, um, and uh, and I totally agree. You know, at at at, um, at at a lot of early software companies, um, people think about some of these types of things in, in a way that almost seems that sh- that's too trivial or that's too shallow uh, for such a, a rich topic. Um, you know, PayPal in, in its early days was a vision around uh, beaming money over the internet. You know, in the early parts of the internet. Um, but it was just too hard to articulate why that matters, why you should create an account and a password and fund it. It's just, you know, not, not everyone has time for, a, for an essay of prose uh, on every new thing. And so they figured out that the way to, dist- to, to capture, capture people's attention 
was uh, send them free money. And if you <laughs> pay the if filter, you, right? If, yeah, and and so you could say, well, that that is demeaning. If this is really important, then people will sit down and educate themselves. You shouldn't have to have such a shallow uh, a shallow uh, hook. Um, but I think there's a lot of of demonstration that um, people are busy, and uh, you you have to you have to meet them where they are, and and um, uh, uh, have a sort of simple starting point for for engaging them. Um, and for PayPal, it was. Uh, you could invite a friend and send them, I think it was $15 for free. Um, and everyone understands why $15 is interesting. And then they start asking questions. And next thing you know, they're beaming money over the internet. Um, and, uh, and so I, you know, I think, I think that in, in that same way, investors are ultimately seeking returns. They might be doing that in a very diversified manner. They might be doing that um, through a conventional portfolio or more diversified um, institutional portfolio. But that is the basis of, of investment. So I think, I think that your mental model that um, the opportunity um, is is very relevant, even if sometimes people it seems too shallow. So let's talk about something that I'd love to hear your thoughts on, because I think everybody's thinking through this. What is the f- philosophical thought behind the ETF versus the self-custody, the vision we all had versus ETFs? How, how are you thinking that through? Because there, there is a... a, a Superficial level, there seems to be a big dichotomy. It's like, yeah, but you were supposed to be giving people self-sovereignty and now you're giving it to Bitwise and bringing in BlackRock. And it's like, what the hell are you guys doing? How do you think through that? Yeah, yeah. Um, I, th- I think about this. You know, there's, there's a lot of uh, technology DNA in the firm and we're friends, you know, I'm personal friends with a lot of, of founders building decentralized uh, open source um, systems and I and I recognize this this tension. I of course am of the opinion that they they all coexist. Um, uh, I think that um, uh, just because somebody uses a, a credit card doesn't mean that cash becomes irrelevant. Just because somebody um, uses a, a bank wire or a money market fund doesn't mean that the credit card becomes irrelevant. Uh, just because somebody uses Venmo or or Apple Pay doesn't mean that you know I I, I think that um, uh, different options make sense to different people in different contexts and. The more uh, options um, that people have, the more likely they are to, to interact uh, with the with the underlying use case or asset uh, or context. Um, so, uh, in the case of a of, um, of a Bitcoin ETF, I, I think it's a, uh, an incredibly productive thing for making it possible for a lot of people who either um, don't have the time, comfort, uh, or just really uh, the permission within their firm um, or the capability within their firm to participate in this space otherwise. Um, and that can either be an introduction or it can just be a way that they, in that context, uh, can participate and, and, and wouldn't have. Um, so I think it's, it's very additive. And I think, I think the additive nature of it versus the supplement, you know, uh, it being a, a, a competing feature is why I think so many in the crypto community recognize it as an important moment. It's building a bridge that is additive and incremental uh, versus just moving, you know, TVL from one platform to another. Um, <laughs> So here's yeah. my and, mental. I, I, good. Go on, please. Yeah. Go on. I was just going to say, I, I, I did, I, I have thought about this a lot though. And one, one thing we did with BITB, the, the Bitwise Bitcoin ETF, is um, we, uh, we announced that we're donating 10% of the profits to open source Bitcoin development organizations. We've been working on this for several months. Um, it's OpenSats, Brinks, and uh, Human Rights Foundation. And uh, one of the thoughts that we had uh, there is related to your, your question and, and, and this topic. And our, our view was if a Bitcoin ETF is successful, 
then the people who are building Bitcoin should be successful. They should participate in that. It shouldn't just become uh, somebody's PL and get siphoned off. Um, it should uh, accrue back. And that is also good for the investor. The investor who is, is getting exposure to Bitcoin through an ETF wants Bitcoin to flourish. And part of Bitcoin flourishing is these other dimensions, uh, uh, some of which the, the Bitcoin core developers uh, and other open source developers facilitate. So uh, we thought about that a lot and, and we're really excited about, about that feature and a vision where if BITB and a Bitcoin ETF is, is successful, it can, it can contribute uh, to the ecosystem uh, in that way. But uh, I, you, you had another thought. So um, Yeah, so how I've come to terms with this, because you know, it's an interesting question, I get it. Um, I think of crypto land like China pre-WTO. It's this big economy doing stuff, growing fast, starved of external capital. The WTO agreement comes, the largest well, uh, um, trade agreement the world had ever seen. And what it allowed was capital to flow from the traditional Western world, where all the savings were, into China. And it ignited you know, the story of China. So here we have Fiat World with all the money, this fast-growing, crazy Wild West of crypto land. And this is a trade agreement. So what you've done is set up a trade agreement that can make the passing of capital. Now, this is not immigration into this new world. That would be wallets. It's tourism flows. It's, it's not even FDI, which would be VC, but it's just a trade deal. You know, you're allowing an RAA to now do their business in crypto land and take advantage of the different rates of return. And for me, that means this space, crypto land, grows. The more capital you feed it, the more opportunities that it can fund, the more people like yourselves can move and solve another problem, move the space forward. And so we're grateful for the renting of the capital from, from Fiat World, because with that capital, we can build even more. And to me, this is how you build an entire system. You have to fund it, and you have to fund it with traditional capital as well. I love the I love the WTO the WTO analogy, and, and I would also note you know I think one mental model that people have on the Bitcoin ETF um, is it's a way for long only investors and and um, and uh, uh, financial advisors and RAs to participate in the space. I'd also note that it's uh, it's it has an amazing impact on IRA uh, sorry uh, yes IRAs um, uh, we we serve RAs uh, so same letters different order uh, uh, re self directed retirement accounts um, that have seen between you know Tuesday of this week and today um, if you want to access Bitcoin in an IRA uh, the fees just came down ninety percent you know if you take BITB which is the lowest cost Bitcoin ETF in America and compare it to uh, the products that were available available there before. I think that's a huge benefit, which may, may could mean that more uh, individuals feel comfortable putting in a retirement account. But the other thing I was going to mention is is it also is is relevant for for traders and uh, hedge funds and institutions that want to take tactical views at various times, and that's also very productive because that brings in more liquidity. It diversifies the uh, underwriting and um, risk transfer of the asset class, which uh, I think is also very helpful. Uh, an asset class can have insane volatility if all you know if all of the participants think the same thing for the same reason at the same time, and then everyone buys at the same moment, sells at the same moment. Uh, and I think if you can start to have a more diversified mix of 
uh, liquidity and types of investors, it also will help mature uh, mature the market. And and um, and I think that that's another thing that's enabled I mean, by I, the ETF because it's such a compelling instrument. And also, that's the reason I set up Exponential Age Asset Management, the um, asset management business where the fund of funds is our main vehicle, investing in digital asset hedge funds. Because I looked at that space, and I've been in the hedge fund space for a long time. There's $4 trillion in traditional market hedge funds. There's $4 billion in crypto hedge funds. Wow, yeah. Maybe five. And I'm like, well, that is not a market. We don't have liquidity that we're used to. You know, to provide the kind of liquidity required, you need those nimble traders with different types of time horizons that are driven by different types of behaviors to create market depth. And I'm like, well, yes. if there's too few of them, then there's going to be a lot of alpha because they can make a shit ton of money because there's no competition. While in traditional markets, returns have come down over time because everyone's competing with each other. So it's again, I, I saw that problem as another way because, okay, the markets need capital. The hedge funds don't have it. And there's a lot of people who like the returns of hedge funds, different type of return profile. Yeah, absolutely. I, and I, I think all these things come together and are part of the story of the chapter of, of, uh, of Bitcoin and, and crypto that we're in now, which is the maturation of the space. You know, bridging in these different perspectives, bridging in these different uh, market participants, um, these different strategies and objectives, and that weaves a tapestry of a, of a much more robust uh, capital market. So um, I agree with, with that point about uh, hedge funds and, and alpha strategies as well as being really productive to the efficiency of the space. Yeah, because I mean, you and others have used hedge funds as ways of bootstrapping whole, you know, products, which is great because they have they can allow for correct functioning of markets, which is, you know, people, hedge funds get a very bad rap, but 99.9% .9 of the time, you know, the markets wouldn't function without Citadel and Virtue and, you know, these these kind of firms, right? They just wouldn't function. Absolutely. 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 I totally agree. So I'm going to ask you the <clears throat> kind of usual round of questions of which everybody wants the answers to. <clears throat> First thing is, how much capital did you think the whole ETF complex is going to raise? Um, yeah, over the next 12 months, because people are thinking about the inflows, you know, what does it mean for them? So what's your, what's your range guesstimate? Yeah, assuming that well, we'll I haven't, I, guesstimate. I haven't, I haven't looked at, at volume since we started this conversation. So I don't know where the number is. Uh, you know, I, I think across all of the products, there's um, uh, pretty healthy volume today, at least as I looked earlier, BATB had traded over $100 million, which we were really excited about. Um, uh, I'll, I'll, I'll give you a, a quantified uh, answer to the question and, um, and then a, a qualitative answer to the question. The quantified answer is that um, uh, the, a piece we put out um, uh, to clients from our CIO was $55 billion over five years. Um, and uh, part of the basis for that is leveraging the analogy of the gold ETFs coming to market. And, and it's not a perfect analogy. But I, I think one of the things that it helps with is uh, grounding in at least a starting point. And um, the gold ETF is transformative for the gold market. Uh, as you know, 10 years of bull market afterwards really matured uh, the market and pulled a lot of ability for people to participate in. But the gold ETFs gathered maybe two, three billion in the first year, three, four billion in the second year. I think it wasn't until year, year six that they had a $10 billion year. Um, and so I think similarly uh, with the Bitcoin ETF, it's, I, I personally don't think it's a $100 billion category in one year. Um, 
I think it, I think it takes, it takes a bit more time than that. So, so now having said that, I know that there are a lot of different numbers that people put out there. And, uh, and today is really exciting because we get, we, we begin to get to see, um, what that actually is. Um, anecdotally, the principle that sits beneath, I think, uh, some of those numbers is, um, for a lot of, um, for a lot of investors who are investing for the first time. Now, of course, there, there are traders, there are people who might rotate out of a more expensive product into a cheaper one in their IRA. But for investors who are allocating for the first time because of, a, of an ETF, actually, let me, let me share a stat. We do a survey every year of financial advisors. Uh, for six years, we've been doing this. Uh, the last one we completed maybe a week ago, 88% of financial advisors in the survey said uh, that they were waiting for Bitcoin ETF to allocate to the crypto space. Um, so I think that there are there's a huge participant um, that has not been present uh, and now can, but many of these investors are not the types of people who drop cancel all their meetings on Thursday, January 11th because they want to make sure they buy the Bitcoin ETF. You know, 120 minutes after it comes out. You know, not everyone who buys uh, an IPO buys it within the first three hours. And I think particularly for the for for at least on the long side. Uh, some of the investors in a Bitcoin ETF, um, uh, they have investment committees, they have client meetings, they have they have all sorts of things to navigate around. We we have a number of clients that we're you know talking to who are extremely excited about this finally arriving, and so they've set up a meeting in three weeks uh, because they want to prioritize it, uh, and that's that's the time scale. Um, so uh, I think that the Bitcoin ETF story is going to be a very important one. Um, and it's going to play out. Certainly, it is already playing out today. I mean, uh, very vibrant, open. I'm, I'm uh, excited by the response we're seeing. We'll see AUMs uh, at the end of the day today for the first time um, on the Bitcoin ETFs. Uh, but, I, but I think that this is a this is a story that's going to play out over the course of several months, um, and I think will be very significant. Yeah. And also, as we talked about earlier on, the number go up is a very strong narrative to get people in. It's launched at a very the right time, the kind of halving cycle, the macro spring. It's its like it's a perfect timing to launch an ETF. And yeah. as you say, it's not instantaneous. That's the IPO order book that's being filled today, mm -hmm. right? And a few people. But really, it's after that, it's the people who are like, okay, what does this mean? You, it goes down the pipeline of the RAAs, the asset managers. We've got, you know, just irritating to see Vanguard as yet stopping people using it. <laughs> Uh, yeah. It's not on Merrill Edge yet. Uh, Northwest Mutual. There was like, there's a bit of reticence, reticence still around. So we need to clear that all up, um, get that going. So, but I think because it's where it is in the cycle, it probably does better than people expect. But what that means, I've no idea. Is it like 25 billion this year? Probably, probably okay. I don't know. I don't. I don't know. I don't know. Yeah, yeah. We'll have we'll have more visibility into that very soon, though. I mean, I will say that that the amount of um, interest today has been pretty substantial. So, uh, you know, previously our estimate was was fifty five billion in five years, but I could see this year being being more substantial than um, than we expected. We'll just well, obviously, I agree with you that the setup in the background um, rates potentially coming down, the having. Um, uh, could could be quite productive uh, for people to to enter, and that would be great, by the way. Because another thing is that, you know, you have clients on the asset management side. We we have clients. Everyone wants their clients to do well, 
Of course. You know, nobody, no, nobody wants people to, to sort of stick their neck out there and invest for the first time. And then, and then their first part of the experience is, uh, is to be down. Even if they know about the volatility, they do have a long-term time horizon. It just, it makes it a little bit, you know, uh, more jarring. So I'm, I'm, I'm very excited for 2024. I'm very excited by the response to the ETFs and, um, and we'll have to see if it's over or under on 55 so billion. So the next five question days. is probability and timing of ETF. Because the market, you know what the market's like. It immediately went from, okay, we've got that one. Where's the next one? Astonishing. Yeah, astonishing. I was, I was, I was surprised by that. Um, I am, uh, I'm at, I'm at best 50-50. I'm, look, I'm, I'm not, I'm not omniscient. We, we definitely have a very long track record of working on ETFs. Many years again, we've we've launched many first of a kind products. The first Ethereum linked ETFs in October, Bitcoin ETF now, um, uh, the first you know crypto equity ETF, um, BATW. Uh, uh, there are just some elements of Ethereum that are different. Um, uh, with 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 the Bitcoin ETF, you know there there was this court ruling, um, and that ruling had implications relative to prior rejections. There are no prior uh, Ethereum ETF rejections, and uh, an ETF can be rejected for any reason. So for those who have the logic that uh, there are now Ethereum futures ETFs, and the same logic from uh, the journey with the Bitcoin ETF applies, which is if, you, if you're comfortable with market manipulation risk relative to CME futures that price on spot, then you should be comfortable with spot. Um, but there's no rejection on the basis of discomfort with market manipulation on the price of Ethereum. Um, and in prior rejections for the Bitcoin ETFs, there were other issues. It was qualified custody, market debt, um, a variety of things. So my, my, my mindset, having worked on this for many years, is um, be a productive partner to the SEC staff. They work really hard um, and uh, anything is possible. But nothing is for sure in either direction. It's it's not for sure that it won't happen. It's not for sure that it will happen. And um, I I've yet to see a crypto uh, ETF that was for sure. It, out of nothing, all of the crypto nothing ETFs, in crypto is for sure, my friend. It's been you know yeah. it's a hell of a ride. So um, just as a sum up, so you've gone live today. The code is BITB. BITB. Right? That's right. Yeah. And um, what are the what's the fee structure? You've got the ten percent incentive to pay back to the community of uh, Bitcoin core devs. Um, yeah, yeah. So, so BHB, I give you the rundown uh, uh, very briefly. BHB is the lowest cost Bitcoin ETF in America. We're really proud of that. Um, uh, it's the Bitwise Bitcoin ETF, um, and uh, we think that we've constructed a fantastic product. We we've been managing digital asset portfolios for six years now. Um, uh, the portfolio manager here uh, joined us from BlackRock. She managed a quarter of a trillion dollars across fixed income and equities. It's you know it's not a bunch of uh, young people from Facebook uh, at Bitwise. It's a it's a combination of technologists and you know risk manager from Millennium, uh, uh, fund admin controls from Wisdom Tree, um, uh, trade settlement uh, and operations. Fifteen years at BlackRock. We've 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 tried to bring an exceptional group of people together and then give them the context where they can singularly focus on crypto. And and I think now I have the benefit of of uh, doing that for a long time, and and I think we have a, a a great track record that I'm very proud of of navigating a lot of developments in the spaces uh, over the years. 
that flows into BITB. Um, from a distance, I think it's it's totally fine for investors to view these as very similar products. Um, underneath the hood, there are some differences. For instance, the way that the portfolio management is done, uh, the, the execution and accessing of liquidity to buy or sell Bitcoin on a creation or redemption, there's actually quite a bit of dispersion and heterogeneity between the products. Um, there are some products that use Coinbase Prime, uh, and then there's another class of products, at least as disclosed in the S1, and this can evolve. There are other products that use uh, OTC liquidity providers as their primary. Um, BITB uses OTC uh, liquidity trading counterparties as the primary, and then as a failsafe has Coinbase Prime capabilities, but only if the OTC markets uh, can't provide um, execution. And our point of view is that as allows us to access the deepest liquidity. We've managed portfolios through bull and bear markets, moments of market stress. Um, and you know, liquidity is sort of that thing you don't worry about until, until you worry about it. Um, uh, and uh, we have the most uh, OTC trading counterparties, at least as of the S1s. Again, it can evolve. We have more um, OTC trading counterparties than any other Bitcoin ETF for a lot of traders, uh, professional investors. Is that because you've run such large index portfolios already? From, from the other products? Are you using similar kind of mechanisms yes. that you've learned from over the years? Yes, and, and we have the benefit of relationships with these firms. We, we have the experience of you know trading in March 2020. We were trading portfolios then. We were trading portfolios in, was it May of 2022 or June when the market gapped out, you know, came, was down 40% in a month. Um, so we have, the, we have relationships, we have the experience, we, we, we take it very seriously. Um, uh, so, so you can see in the S1, uh, OTC trading counterparties for us, there's, there's five that are named. It's more than any other ETF. Uh, Flow Traders uh, is a counterparty uh, for, for trading Bitcoin. Change Street subsidiary um, is, uh, is a counterparty. Um, uh, Falcon X, B2C2, and, uh, and I can't believe it, but there's one that I'm forgetting. Um, and it's actually one of the bigger ones. Oh, excuse <laughs> me, Cumberland DRW, of course. Um, so, so that's a way in which it, it doesn't matter to most investors, but I, I guess the point is we're a crypto specialist. It's our job to uh, understand this space very deeply through the combination of experience and singular focus. And um, BITB is, is, is us taking all of those, those learnings and trying to construct the very best product possible. And uh, because we see this as a very simple strategy, management fee of 20 basis points, we've waived it to zero for the first six months. Um, up to the first billion, uh, so it's the lowest cost Bitcoin ETF in America. But we've 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 uh, constructed something here that we're really really proud of in terms of the quality of the product. One um, final question on the mechanics, because I know a lot of people will be thinking about this. So, if somebody buys a share in the market today, when does the actual matching Bitcoin purchase happen? How does that process work? Yes, uh, so. We may venture here into uh, a level of, of ETF uh, nuance that may or may not be interesting to people. So I'll, I'll, I'll try to, to map it out. Um, but if I see your eyes glazing over, Raul, uh, I'll, I'll understand. No, I'm, I'm genuinely interested. I asked Eric Balchunas sure. this earlier. Sure. I'm like, how, how does this actually work? Sure. So, so uh, imagine a mutual fund. People can make a subscription, send money, get shares, or they can make a redemption, send shares, get money. Uh, an ETF is like that, except the only people who can do that, the creation or redemption, is an authorized participant called an AP. And there's just a few of them. For us, we have, we have three that are listed. It's, it's Virtue, Jane Street, and Macquarie are the APs. 
uh, shares trade in the secondary market, and that can just be people trading amongst themselves. If uh, let's say that there are more uh, buyers than sellers, there are more people out there trying to buy shares, and the people who have them don't want to sell them. So uh, there starts to be a premium on what the buyer is willing to pay to get uh, a fill. If that premium gets starts to rise, the AP, uh, say uh, Macquarie or Virtu, um, steps in and fills the trade. So say you're you're going to buy a a twenty five dollars share of BITB that's backed by twenty five dollars of Bitcoin, and somebody's offering to pay uh, twenty five dollars and fifty cents, a one percent premium. Macquarie sells them that share. They take the $25.50, they pocket the 50 cents, they take the $25, they send it to the trust. The trust, the, the trust sends them back the share, and they made that, that spread um, as compensation for performing the service of an AP. That's the, the fundamental relationship between the secondary market, the AP, and uh, the trust. Because these are cash created, when the cash comes into the ETF, then the portfolio manager needs to take that cash and turn it into Bitcoin in the case of the Bitcoin ETFs. Uh, the particulars depend on the ETF. I, I haven't you know, deeply read every, uh, every S1, um, but generally uh, people are executing uh, against a reference rate. For many of us, that's the uh, CF Benchmark's um, New York variant uh, Bitcoin reference rate um, and are uh, trading either through it could be Coinbase Prime. It could be through the OTC counterparties um, to uh, try to achieve that that reference rate price, um, and that 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 generally happens towards the end of the day um, because that's when the AP knows how many creations they're going to do. Then you're looking for the imbalance, um, the balance, what the APs have done, and everyone trying to settle up at, towards the end of the day. Exactly, exactly, because the AP can can cross right. You know, they could they could they could uh, sell someone a share. And then there's a, you know, they could sell a buyer a share and then there's a seller out there and they buy the share from the seller and they use that to, to settle, uh, to settle their, their, uh, their inventory. So, um, hope, hopefully that, that made sense. Uh, My guess is it's going to change um, slightly the structure of markets because we'll probably have much like you see in stock markets, you tend to get moves at the end of the day because everyone has to balance books. We see it already from derivative books. But we'll probably see it from ETF books because we've seen that in equity markets too. I guess. I think that's quite possible. Yeah, yeah. Um, and and also for those who are really interested, you know, the the S ones do uh, are are uh, you can read the prospectuses and and this is described pretty. You know, it's one of the, the beautiful things about an ETF. I mean, it, it's everything is laid out. You have to really want to read through it all. But um, but it is uh, it is. Uh, information that's out there in the in the prospectus as far as how um, the procedures for striking NAV and so on and so forth. So listen, well done again, not just for pudgy penguins, but for going through this whole journey. You have, you know, your Bitwise is an authentic crypto native asset management firm. And as that, you've been one of the most successful in raising assets. You've been in this whole game. You've kept us up to date at Real Vision with how this process is going and how complicated it was. You know, when people are getting overexcited, you're like, no, 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 we're nowhere near there yet. You know, we've still got these problems to solve. And, you know, I'm eternally grateful for that, what you do for the space and what you've done. And I just, you know, just really want to wish you luck now because it's a it's an asset management battle and you built it from the ground up as well. So you should be immensely proud of what you've done. Uh, and it's all to play for. It's just the start of the journey, my friend, not the end. 
Thank you. That's really kind. And and also to say we're we're unbelievably excited. We're we're so excited to have this this product for investors and grateful to be to get to play uh, a role of contributing to pioneering things in this space and driving some of the elements of the vision that you and I discussed uh, today forward. So really, really thrilled about it. And thank thank you for the kind words. Get some rest now. Right on. Cool. All right, my friend. Great to see you. Great to see you too. I'll talk to you soon. All of us together are living through the death of an old world and the birth of a new one. This is a fourth turning, but this is not the fourth turning of demographics or politics. This is the birth of the new technological age. This new world has a world of 3D printed rockets, crypto payments in space, discussions on the rights for humanoid robots, machine intelligence that may outperform our own, simulated worlds where autonomous AI agents write code for other autonomous AI agents. It's a world full of opportunity and full of difficulty too. You see, we are living history and it's happening much, much faster than any of us can comprehend. This is Reed's Law, Metcalfe's Law Squared. Humanity has never gone through anything like this. But we have to comprehend and understand what is happening. It is into this world that the exponentialist is born. The Exponentialist is a new service from me, Ralph Powell, and David Mattin, author of New World, Same Humans. It's an almanac of the fastest period of change ever witnessed in the human history. A period of excitement, exhilaration, difficulty, and terror. And The Exponentialist really is for humans first and investors second. Yes, the opportunities are enormous all round. To find out more and get our special launch pricing, go to realvision.com forward slash the future.